So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. And we're going to go through uh, something of a bit of a lesson. You know, it's Palm Sunday today. Uh, and many churches uh, in the past, probably not today, would, uh, would deck out their whole uh, church building with palms. Um, and, and sometimes there'd be processions even around uh, different communities where people would just go down the streets and waving palms. And, uh, I remember as a child going to church once and um, someone gave me a little cross and it was made out of a palm leaf. I don't know if anyone else has had one of those given to them before, but uh, which I still kept it. But it was really cool. I'd like to learn how to make those. But, um, you know, it's called Palm Sunday. Not that there's anything special about palms. It's called Palm Sunday because in John's Gospel, people would be waving palm branches around like flags, like banners, in praise dancing and thanking Jesus for coming. You know, they saw Jesus as a king because in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, there was a prophecy that declared that there would be a king that would come and he would save Israel. And you know, in Jesus' time, when Jesus was walking this earth, Israel was under Roman control. It wasn't its own nation. It didn't have freedom. They were under oppression from the Roman authorities. And when Jesus that day jumped onto or was put onto a, a donkey's colt and was riding into Jerusalem on that colt, he was fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy hundreds of years earlier. Everything Jesus did was fulfilling prophecy. You know, I thought about it a little while ago, and this is the only time that we see Jesus ever not walking. I mean, he walked on water. He, he was in boats. But when it comes to land, we don't see him riding horses or camels. In fact, he came into Bethlehem, didn't he? In Mary, so to speak, on a donkey. To be born in Bethlehem. But 33 years later, here we see Jesus on a cult proceeding into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy. And everyone's getting excited, thinking that Jesus is going to overthrow the Roman authority. That Israel is finally going to conquer and have its own city of Jerusalem back. And its own town of Israel, uh, its own country of Israel back again. So everyone was getting excited. And so they were waving branches of palm, palm leaves around. But I'm not going to be bringing you any messages today about that, so to speak, as that I am hopefully bringing a word from the Lord for you because one of the hardest things us preachers have is uh, to make sure that we hear from God properly. But just something just kept standing out to me as I kept reading through Luke's, Luke's gospel in chapter 19, where we see Jesus coming in on this donkey, I couldn't get past the first couple of verses of the reading. 
it's almost like I felt like God was saying there's something special about the places that Jesus was going through before he got to Jerusalem. Now, you know, Jerusalem, it means city of peace. Jeru Shalom, the city of peace. Last week, we were looking at what it means to have perfect peace and where we go to find perfect peace. And Isaiah, the prophet, told us that uh, we find ourselves kept in perfect peace by God as we trust in him and our minds are steadfast. We find that God brings that peace because he is peace. And Jesus calmed the storm with his words because he had peace on the inside. And we could do the same thing in our lives. We can bring peace to the shopping centers. We can bring peace to our neighborhoods. We can bring peace to our homes and our relationships with our family members at this stressful time. But here Jesus is riding on a colt into the city of peace. Now you and I know the story doesn't seem to be a very peaceful story because this coming Friday is the, is the, is the day we remember where Jesus Christ was, was tortured, was whipped, and was nailed to a crucifix outside of the city as a criminal. It doesn't sound very peaceful. But what he was doing was he was bringing us perfect peace. Not perfect peace here and now, situations stop, and, and all the wars stop, and you know there's total peace and calm, because that's not what perfect peace is. Perfect peace is peace with God. No matter what happens around me, no matter what storms are around me, on the inside, I know I'm okay because God's with me. And likewise, I know I'm okay when I die because God has promised me eternal life in Jesus. That's what perfect peace is. But before Jesus gets to that perfect peace, I want to talk to you today about the road to perfect peace. The road to perfect peace. If you're taking notes, that's the title of the message. The road to to perfect peace. The road to perfect peace has different stop-offs. I don't know if you've ever been on a, a trip, a long trip before, and uh, you want to time your run. Uh, so you don't want to travel too far that you miss a nice town to stop off and have lunch in, or to have dinner in, or to have a morning tea date in. You, I love visiting different towns, especially around Victoria. There's so many beautiful little towns around Victoria, little Little nuggets, little golden nuggets around around the place that you don't really notice until you just stop and spend some time there. And I want to take you through some of the places that Jesus went through on his way to Jerusalem on the cult of a donkey that day. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 19, verse 28. It says, after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage, just stop there. Bethpage. Bethpage. There's nothing much known about Bethpage anymore. It's not a famous town. There's nothing really too historic about it, except for this moment. You see, if you were to Google the, the name Bethpage, this moment would come up as the place where Jesus got on the back of a donkey's colt. And Bethpage means house of unripe figs. 
house of unripe figs. <laughs> We've got a passion fruit vine out the side of our house here. Passion fruit grow fantastic in warmer climates, like Queensland in the tropics. When it's warm, they ripen really fast. Our passion fruit vine out, out in our side yard, it's got lots and lots of passion fruit on it. So many passion fruit on it. But they are not ripe. And they are taking forever to go purple because the climate's not right. <laughs> and it's a frustrating place to be in the house of the unripe figs. I don't know if you've ever been in that sort of situation yourself in life where it's like you're waiting for God to do something or you're waiting for something to happen. And it just, it's like you're in a waiting room and you just wait and nothing happens. It's the house of the unripe figs. What do you do in those places? It's frustrating to be in those places. I like to do things. I like to keep busy. I like to make sure that I'm active and functioning. But when, when there's, if I'm finding myself in the house of the unripe figs or a season where it's just nothing's happening, it's frustrating. What do you do? What do you do? Well, here it is, all right? This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He said to them in verse 30, he said to the disciples, he sent two of them and he said, go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. You see, in those places, in those seasons of life, in the house of the unripe fig, so to speak, in those Beth Page moments where nothing seems to be happening, might I suggest that you just obey the Lord? And if he hasn't said anything to you, go back to the last thing that he said and just do it and just wait. Because he's always got a plan. He's always got a plan. I'm sure the disciples thought, how does Jesus know there's going to be a cult there? So anyway, they go there. Verse 32, those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And verse 33, as they were untying the cult, its owners asked them, why are you untying the cult? And they said, the Lord needs it. And so it was okay. They just obeyed Jesus. They just obeyed Jesus in that place. The next place that we see mentioned here in this in this verse in this passage is a, ba a place called Bethany. Now I don't know if you notice there's a lot of Beths in the Bible. So Bethlehem means house of bread. Uh, Beth Page means house of unripe figs. Bethany means house of bitterness. House of bitterness. I know that this place in my life, Bethany, the Bethany places in my life, the places where there's been bitterness, where there's been uncertainty of, of, of what God's actually doing, and, and I've been bitter, and I've been uh, doubting God, and I've been uh, doubting others. It's, it's a place, it's not fun to be in that place. And I don't know if anyone 
is listening to this is in that place now. You know, like we've got cabin fever in our home sometimes and it can be a place of bitterness. You know, it's not so sweet. It's not so sweet. But this place, Bethany, it reminds me that, that Jesus brings something good out of bitterness, out of the house of bitterness. You know, Bethany is a place where if you turn to John chapter 10, uh, it's the story of Lazarus. And uh, Jesus' good friend Lazarus lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, Jesus gets uh, news that Lazarus is very sick. And they ask Jesus to come and heal him of his sickness. And, and we see in, in John, sorry, John chapter 11, not John chapter 10, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Jesus loved them so much that he stayed where he was two more days. I'm sure that didn't make sense. Not just to Jesus' disciples, but to Martha and Mary, because their, their brother Lazarus was very sick. And it turns out the story goes on, you might know it, that Lazarus ends up dying. And Jesus turns up late. He's already been buried in the tomb for so many, so many days, Lazarus that is. And Jesus turns up after everything's finished. And he calls Lazarus's name. Out of this tomb comes Lazarus, wrapped up in, in all of his grave cloths. And he commands the, Jesus commands the people to unwrap him and let him loose. He brought Lazarus back to life. In the house of bitterness, Jesus Christ can come to those Bethany places and bring life where there is death. I'm not talking like near death. I'm not talking sickness. This is total death. You know, the stone's been rolled over the tomb and it's finished as far as all of the people are concerned, except for Jesus. There is never, never too late. It's never too late with Jesus. Everyone has a chance to come back to life. With Jesus. Bethany is a place where Jesus brings life to the dead. It's also a place where Jesus brings lessons to those who are listening. If you turn with me to Luke chapter 10, we read of, a, of a, another instance where Jesus is in Bethany, in the house of bitterness, so to speak. And in, in Luke chapter 10, in verse 38, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. It's the same Martha. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister 
has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered her. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You know, it's so encouraging to know that even in those places of bitterness, there's an opportunity for us to sit and listen to the lesson that Jesus might be teaching us. You know, it's often often a, the best time for God to teach us lessons when we're going through times of hardship or bitterness, where it's hard, where it doesn't taste good. You know, one of my favourite cakes is chocolate cake. I love it. I love mud chocolate cake. Chocolate mud cake, sorry. Chocolate mud cake. It's awesome. But have you ever just gotten the cocoa powder out of the cupboard and just got a spoon and started eating it? It tastes bitter. But without that bitter cocoa in the cake, it won't be yummy. It won't be delicious. And it's like God uses all these ingredients in our lives. He uses these towns, these places like of the unripe fig, where the places are where we're, the places that we're waiting for him to work and nothing seems to be happening. And those places like Bethany, the, the house of bitterness, where it seems like he's not even there and he doesn't really care. He's using all of those places to make something good, to make something really good. And without that bitterness, without that house of bitterness, without that bitterness of the cocoa, you don't get the full flavor of the cake. And I'm so thankful that God has never let me down when I've gone through those times of bitterness in my life. Bethany. Bethany, it's a place where Jesus can bring life, where he can bring lessons. And it's also a place where Jesus can bring liberty. You know, when... When everything is going well in your life, do you cry out to God for help? I know I don't. Not, not as much as I would if my life is falling apart. When I'm, when I'm losing, losing strength or when I'm losing hope, I cry out to God for help. But when everything is going well, it's easy to praise God, but I don't call out to Him for help. And in, in John chapter 12, if you turn to John chapter 12, We'll see Jesus bringing liberty to the broken. It's a story about a woman who comes into Jesus and uh, she breaks something valuable to honor Jesus, to worship Jesus. In John chapter 12, verse 1, six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honour. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus. Then Mary took about a half a litre of perfume, a pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Could you imagine that? But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, he was later to betray Jesus, he objected to this. 
And he said, why? Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. What this woman, Mary, broke and poured out on Jesus was worth a year's wages. Just let that sink in. She was in a place where she knew that Jesus was way more valuable than anything she could ever have or own or earn. And she broke it and she poured it out on Jesus in worship. And Jesus said about this Mary, he said, what she's done will be remembered forever. She didn't hold back. Worship happens in those places of bitterness, in Bethany. Worship happens in Bethany. Because we need to cry out to God. We cry out to him because we need his help. And we worship him. We recognize that he is greater than the situation we find ourselves in. I don't know if you've read the Psalms, but I often read through the Psalms. And many of the Psalms start off with, God, where are you? Why don't you care? And then they finish off with, I praise you. You are so awesome. Your love never fails. You know, it's when we come to God in worship, when we, when we break what's valuable, when we break our pride and our ego and we let rip and, and sing out praises loud, that God is able to be God in our lives and, and do amazing things. And he can bring liberty to our hearts as we break what's important for him. And so in Luke, in Luke chapter 19, we see Jesus. He goes through this, uh, this region of um, Bethany, uh, through Bethpage and Bethany, and he comes to a place near the Mount of Olives. It says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices. Now, when I read that, I think of Gethsemane. Turn with me, if you can, to John chapter 18, and we read of um, something that's going to happen this week, I guess, you know, the very first Easter, when Jesus died on the cross. But before he took your sin and my sin on the cross, he had to make a choice in a garden called Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. And Gethsemane is a place of crushing it's an olive press. It's a place where the olives are picked from the trees and they're crushed to make something different. And the Mount of Olives is a place where God's will is the most important thing. And, and in, in, uh, in the end of Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, Jesus prays this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he's about to die on the cross for the whole world's sin in all of history is going to take the weight of every person's sin on his shoulders. He cries out, he says, God, if it's possible, take this cup away from me. I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to do this thing. But not my will be done, but yours be done. You know, Gethsemane is a, is a, is a place of decision. It's a place of decision. It's where decisions are made. And in John chapter 18, we see Jesus getting arrested. 
in this garden. And it says, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guarding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. They were coming to get Jesus as a big lynch mob. Coming to get Jesus. Jesus, the one who would heal the sick, who would raise the dead, who would cast out demons, who would clean, cleanse the lepers, who would set people free. He was the healer. He would heal people. And here they were coming to lynch him and arrest him and to take him away. And the amazing verse in, in John 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus, knowing all that was about to happen to him, all. He could have walked away. He could have run away. But as soon as he knew all the things he was going to go for, he was going to be tortured, whipped, he was going to be flogged, he was going to be carrying his own cross, he was going to be nailed to it, and he was going to stay there for most of the day, dying as a criminal, for all to see. Taking your shame, my shame, your guilt, my guilt, your sin, my sin, all on his shoulders. Knowing all that was ahead of him, Jesus went out. He stepped forward. He made that decision. You know what? I'm not going to go my way anymore. I'm going to go God's way. That's the Garden of Gethsemane. That's the Mount of Olives. It's a place of decision. It's a place of the first step, so to speak. So let's get back to Luke chapter 19. And we see Jesus. And he's leaving the Mount of Olives. He'll, he'll return there again and, and he'll go through what we just read about. But he leaves this, he gets to this area called the, the Mount of Olives in verse 37. When he came near the place where the road goes down from the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. It's just a big worship party, right? So here's the scene. There's the Mount of Olives. There's Bethany, Bethpage, Bethany, the Mount of Olives, all fairly high altitude places. On the other side of a valley, there's a valley here, the Valley of Kidron Valley. On the other side of the valley, we have Jerusalem and the temple and the Sheep Gate and the Beautiful Gate. I'm not sure which one Jesus went through. Probably the Sheep Gate. But we see Jesus gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and he starts going down. He starts going through the valley of Kidron. The Kidron Valley. The valley. You know, valleys? I don't like valleys. In my life, there's been a few valleys. Valleys that I've caused and valleys that have just happened. I don't know if anyone listening has ever been through a valley. You know what I'm talking about. You can't, you can't get out of it unless you can fly. You're just stuck in it and you don't know how you can get out of it. It could be a valley of depression. It could be a valley of sin. It could be a valley of misfortune or some sort of situation that you found yourself in and you couldn't get out of it. 
What did the disciples do in the valley? Well, let's have a look what the disciples did in Bethpage. The disciples, they obeyed Jesus. And in Bethany, they learned from him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the disciples praying with Jesus. But through this valley of Kidron, as he's going down towards his death, he knows he's going to his death. The disciples are there and praising him. You know, in the valley, the best thing you can do is praise him. The best thing you can do is praise him. Praise him on the mountaintops. Praise him in the valleys too. Because he is with you. And he is God. You know why they praised him that day as he was going down from, from, from Garden of Gethsemane, down the Kidron Valley towards Jerusalem? They praised him because he was the king. And they praised him because he was worthy of praise. They praised him to prepare the way for him. They threw their cloaks down. They threw branches down. Whatever was around, they, they would prepare the way for the king to come through to the city of peace. And they would praise him. They wouldn't hold back. And you know what? Some of the religious people were there that day and they told Jesus, Jesus, can you shut up your disciples, please? Can you keep those people quiet from praising you? And Jesus responds with these words, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out themselves. I'd love to see that one day. You know, there's no excuse for us to be praise, to not praise God. And praise isn't about our feelings. It's about Him. Praise should never be about our, our talents, or about our attitudes, or about our feelings, or about our situation. Praise should always be about God and who He is. And so they praised him. They praised him. And through all of these places, through Bethpage, through Bethany, through the Mount of Olives, through the valley, when you go on through all of these places yourself in your life, in the place where it's the unripe figs, where you're waiting, nothing's happening. When, you, when it's the house of bitterness and it's like, what, what's God going to do with this? This is a dead end street. Nothing's, nothing's good here. And God's the Redeemer in those places. And then in the place of Gethsemane, where it feels like you're being crushed, maybe, and it feels like God doesn't really care, or you just have to make a decision to say, you know what, God, I'm with you no matter what. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And in the valley, in all of those places, you can know that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He's been in all of those places, and in fact, the promise is that he's with you in it now. But some of the people didn't recognize who Jesus was. Some of the people that day on Palm Sunday, that very first Palm Sunday, some of the people didn't realize how God brings peace. You know, sometimes God brings peace, you know, all the time. When God brings peace, it's not always just a, a garden of roses. It's just not a bed of roses. It's not just some sweet perfume. God uses all the ingredients to bring something good. And when Jesus died on the cross, this coming Friday, we remember that. He actually brought us perfect peace with God. 
But some of the people didn't recognize it that day. And in verse 41, Jesus says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hid, hidden from your eyes. I don't know about you, but I want perfect peace. I want to know that in the midst of all of this that's going around our world, that God is with me. And I want to encourage you tonight that God is with you. He is with you. But he never promised that everything's going to be awesome. Well, one day it will be. But in this world, Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus shared a parable about sowing seeds and how some people hear the gospel of God and they, they respond and say, yeah, I want to follow God. But then hardship comes and they turn away and they walk away from God. Well, I want to declare to you tonight that, that God loves you so much and he has got an amazing plan for your life and he wants to use you to bring blessing to others as well. But he's going to use every single ingredient of your past, of your present and of your future to bring peace. It's not going to be a bed of roses. It's going to be hard. But in it all, even in the midst of the storm, you can be sure that God is with you. And he is the God of peace. And he'll bring perfect peace. So this Palm Sunday, and this week as we look forward to Easter, I just want to encourage you guys to know that God has already paid the price for your sins, for your shame. He's already paid the price. Jesus Christ died on the cross to bring us peace with God forever. And nothing can take that away. Not even death can take that away. We have the wonderful promise of perfect peace with God for eternity. And that's something worth praising God for. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the lessons that he taught with his words. And Lord, I thank you so much for the lessons that he taught with his actions. And the places that he went, the things that he did that declared that you are a God who uses all situations and you bring good out of all situations for those who trust you, who love you and are called according to your purposes. I thank you so much, God, that you love every single person listening to this and that, God, you are a God who uses every single situation from their past and even their present that might not be favourable for them right now. Lord God, you use the places of waiting, you use the places of bitterness, you use the places of crushing, and you use those valleys. You use them to grow us into the people that you want us to be. So that we might be bringers of peace in our nation as well. In our world as well. But we thank you God that in it all you are with us. And that you do bring peace to our hearts. So we accept your peace. Your Holy Spirit in our hearts right now. To give us that peace to go through those times in our life. And we thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we just want to in, uh, thank you so much again for joining us tonight. And uh, it's, it's, it's great that you could join us in our pool room at home. Uh, we do pray, though, that you would be able to connect with us after the service. Uh, we're hosting a Zoom party, a Zoom meeting, uh, where we can connect, uh, get to know you a bit more, and see if we can help you out in this time. So uh, just type in your, I think your email or a phone number and we'll be able to get in touch with you and connect you with some other people like-minded and we'd just love to have a coffee with you and get to know you and pray for you and support you at this time. 
So thanks again. We always pray for you guys. Sonia and I love you to he heaps, and we hope you're doing well. Uh, if you need anything, let us know, and we'll be praying for you as well. And so next Sunday, we'll see you Sunday night. We won't be having a service on Good Friday, so we'll let you guys just to connect with your own communities and, and do, do Good Friday on your own. But next Sunday night at 5 p.m., we'll see you here again. I just want to pray a blessing on you guys at this time. Uh, it's a blessing from, from Romans chapter 5, uh, sorry, Romans chapter 15, verse 5. And it goes like this. It's my prayer for you. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.